Hello, hello, hello. Hey, friends. Hi, friends. Hi, and welcome back to Stacked, the podcast about life and books and life with books. We hope you guys have been well. We're so happy to be back. I know. Season three. Season three. Finally. Finally. <laughs> it felt like it was never going to happen. <laughs> Just purely from us here today. So, yeah, really happy to be back and really happy to be back with you, friend. I How know. I'm good. Mm. I am listening to our old episodes yeah. and I realized I just keep saying, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> how are you really? How are you really? <laughs> you know how people say that thing where doing nothing is as equally as hard as like doing everything right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm really trying to see the year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, guys. <laughs> yeah. Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to like divide the year up into quarters. Okay. So I'm thinking Q1 is the end of March is the end of the year for me okay business lady <laughs> okay, I'm God, serious on my life yeah <laughs> so I'm running towards my Q1 goals okay, because nice. I realize if you like to procrastinate seeing everything in a 12 month period you think you have all the time in the world you think you have all the time in the mm-hmm, world mm-hmm. but as I'm trying to meet my Q1 goals I'm like this is hard yeah people mm-hmm. who don't procrastinate they live full on lives yeah who are they it's very full on I feel like every time I even have a week where I'm like really on top of everything and full on by the end of that week I am destroyed like I am so exhausted I how do people keep that going like for just you know extended periods of time I don't know I think it's the high from making things happen yeah that's true I do love to make things happen yeah (laughs) yeah literally love to make things happen yeah I think that's it so I'm good Mm. but being good actually is quite hard yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's hard work no that's for sure and <laughs> like, i mean no, every time it's hard work, nobody wants to work anymore yeah. <laughs> shout out to kim oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah no and i mean so much has happened since the last time that we sat in the studio mm. and record actually to be fair we were in here for the christmas episode yeah but like sat for an extended long period of time so much has gone on yeah and i feel like we didn't even really give that much of a breakdown for the listeners of course about what we've been up to what we've i think one big massive thing is of course like our dear amanda turned 30 oh my goodness she's a grown woman <laughs> <laughs> she can do whatever she wants no, I think that's big. It that's is. so massive. Yeah. And, you know, I realize that listeners of the podcast, they actually think we're super young. Who said that now? Uh, people think we're so young. Like, I remember someone being like, oh, like when we started listening, like we, we thought you guys were like early 20s. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. <laughs> no, yeah, we are grown. We are grown, grown women. women adulting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. We should have let them think we were young kids so we get away with it. <laughs> get away with a lot more <laughs> no no we, yeah I turned 30 and yeah it's, it feels good mm-hmm. I feel really good to be here mm-hmm. I feel wiser yeah. like I feel the years mm-hmm. <laughs> you can feel the years not in the bad way yeah in, yeah, in, yeah. The, in the absolute best way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah I love that yeah. I can't wait yeah there's not, things wait. that have happened I'm like if I was not 30 I would not manage yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like if this was 24 year old me mm-mm it would not be. She wouldn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> she would be struggling right now. Uh, so, yeah, that's been like a massive thing. Yeah. I started a whole new career. I know. Like, <laughs> that is. I was about to hop the whole spot. <laughs> I was like, let me get no, enough. Just a new career. <laughs> yeah, no, just a new, yeah, just a new career. And it's just been, yeah. Um, How's it been? It's been 
good. Like mm. it's a whole like whole new field for me. So it's been like really challenging, just kind of like, you know, getting up to speed on everything and kind of like so much learning to do. But then because of that, it's also been like a massive period of growth for me, I mm. think. And though it's been hard. Mm. It's been really, really hard. But I feel like that is also where like the best personal growth comes from. Mm. Um so yeah, like I'm enjoying it. Um, as far as that goes, because I think it's it's good for me and my personal development. Yeah. So yeah, we're having a good time with that. Yeah. <laughs> so far. Yeah, I've also started a newish career because obviously I qualified. Mm. And so now, <laughs> I feel like, but now I feel like a newborn baby in a new way. Yeah. Because the expectations are different, mm. and I just. It's really intense. Yeah, and you're like, but I'm still just I'm a baby. St- I'm just a girl. I'm just a girl. <laughs> I love that girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I feel you because, yeah, like there's things that you expect from yourself mm-hmm. and there's things that people expect from you. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sometimes you don't really feel like you can say, what's going on here? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want me to do that? <laughs> By myself? Yeah, <laughs> But um, no, we're we're living. Yeah, we're living. We're laughing. We're loving. Yeah. Well, I'm not loving. <laughs> yeah. Because actually, another thing is that I went through a breakup. Oh yes. Yes. Very yes, big one. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would say a milestone breakup. Can you call breakups say, milestones? I would say almost the breakup of your life at the, this point. Thank you. Yeah. I would say the breakup of my life. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And you handled it with handling. Grace. You're handling. handling it with handling. Grace. <laughs> Um, and yeah you know we love to see it you don't see it girl because <laughs> if you saw it you wouldn't love it but I'm I am happy that maybe not happy is not the word but mm. I'm maybe I don't know how to describe it mm. no I'm happy that I'm not yeah in a I'm moving forward yeah yeah exactly. maybe that's the mm-hmm. and at your own pace as well you know mm-hmm. what I mean like it's I don't know There's what no pace it is. <laughs> There's no rush here. <laughs> it does feel like I do feel lots of pressure though from like I sometimes I must have recently we're going on actually and we need to talk about books yeah. very soon. <laughs> we will, we promise. <laughs> but recently my uncles came to visit me because my mum and my family went away for Christmas. So mm-hmm. it was just my uncles and my dad. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Oh, um, so when you're getting married, why aren't you married? I told them, I was like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you tell me. And they were like, well, how old are you? And then I, when I said 30, they were like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. They, they were like, oh. <laughs> They're like, but anyway, you can't be desperate. You know, you, <laughs> it's not looking good, but yeah. you also can't be desperate. <laughs> and I was like, guys, this isn't, like, I'm more than this. Yeah, literally. It's, it's like, I just qualified. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about, but it was fun to <laughs> indulge them and they were actually very sweet. But yeah, I do feel that feeling from people around me that mm. time is a moving on. <laughs> it's a TikTok. 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 And not the fun kind. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, ignore that pressure, friend. Like, there's really... There's nothing out there to rush for. Like, there's actually nothing out there to rush for. And everything good takes time. Yeah. And comes in its own time. So. Can't hurry, love. Exactly. But yeah, so what have you been reading? Oh my god, well, uh, what have I been reading? So, actually, it's a really funny slash interesting story. I decided to read this book of short stories by this woman called Flannery O'Connor. Mm, uh, Irish? No, American. But I mean, probably like Irish roots. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was a Southern American woman <laughs> with, I'm guessing, Irish roots. <laughs> But um, it's with a co- name like Flannery, Flannery O'Connor, O'Connor, I, think. I know. You like, got like, that. <laughs> <laughs> Poss- 
possibly. Who Gotta knows, have maybe. some green blood in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, like she has this collection of short stories called "A Good Man Is Hard to Find." Mm. Um, are you? Oh my god, yeah. Are you? I just realized. <laughs> And like, do you want to borrow it next? <laughs> well, walk us through it. Yeah. Well, to be fair, so um, yeah, it's a collection of short stories. I picked it up because I was reading um, this Toni Morrison like thing uh, essay where she talks about like southern white authors and how they portray black people basically or how mm. they used to portray black people and Flannery O'Connor is like quite like a prolific uh, short story writer especially like the way that she used to talk about the south and white southern American people so I was like oh this sounds really interesting and Toni Morrison was saying that she feels as though even though Flannery O'Connor like others people in her narratives she does it in the best way she's like yeah she was kind of racist but Elisa was good <laughs> good writing <laughs> Actually, not just good writing. Like, she literally calls it excellent. Mm. In particular, she was, like, talking about this one story that she has in that book of short stories called The Artificial Nigger, Hardy R. Not even Negro. She fully said nigger. E-R. <laughs> E-R. Um, so, yeah, I was like, let me pick it up. Let me read it. Um, and I started reading it just because I was like, I want to, I don't know. I want to challenge myself in that way because I feel like a lot of the time I will kind of, like, dismiss authors or whatever for having or possibly having differing opinions or differing worldviews from my own um not to say that you know racism is even like a viable or a what's the word here like a view yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) like i'm like yeah not to say that it's a valid Mm. viewpoint or like a valid worldview and to be fair she was a woman of her times but i thought i'll just read it because you know you know i love me a short story collection Mm. so i read a couple and so far they're like quite interesting Mm. i like the way that she characterizes like white southern people she does that thing that i feel like you know when authors write in a dialect like in a people's dialect like how zora neale hurston would do um but for white people instead Mm -hmm. and like in a way that was still quite humanizing for them because i feel like a lot of the time like white southerners uh white american southerners were like depicted as like lacking in intelligence and culture and like all that kind of stuff and i feel like she gives them a lot of What's the word here? Like their fullness. Yeah, exactly. Like the fullness of their their lives and their experiences, including the racism. So yeah, yeah. well, that's there. <laughs> yeah, you that's can, that. Like. <laughs> How about you? What are you reading? Um, I'm reading. I've gone back to reading "Life Under Surveillance Capitalism." Oh yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, by Shoshana Zuboff. Mm-hmm. So this year, guys, I'm reading nonfiction books only. Aside, only. Yeah. Aside oh. from the books that we've that we'll read for the podcast mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in my personal life I am reading non-fiction books because enough is this. enough yeah I did not know this yeah because I'm like I avoid them now mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm like me. Oh. like I'll start them and be like oh, that's enough yeah <laughs> two pages yeah I try I try God loves to try um, so I told myself this year I'm reading exclusively non-fiction books it's going really slowly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I'm not trained in it mm. Like I said, obviously for work, I read nonfiction. Mm. Different kind of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Different kind of expectations. <laughs> yeah, so it's good. It's building up my discipline. It's a really good book. Really well written. Mm-hmm. And it's... I've spoken about it before, guys. It's about... What is it about? Life under surveillance capital. Yeah, it's basically how we're being tracked by our phones and mm. whether... And how this needs to be regulated. Mm. And also how it's kind of informing... And also dictating our behavior Mm -hmm. and changing Mm -hmm. our behavior so that it creates certainty in the market Mm -hmm. for business people. Yeah. 
it's really interesting. It does and, sound really interesting. Yeah. And it's something that oh, I get on my phone, they're like, oh, do you accept these ads or whatever? It's cookies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no. And I never think about it again. Yeah. Well, sometimes I just say accept all. I'm like, whatever, whatever. take it. Yeah. You want, you want my data, take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is just, yeah, giving me more context to those things that I feel like I'm just stepping over. Yeah, and like not really thinking about. Actually, funnily enough, I think I saw something the other day about how and this was kind of like about life under you know like a surveillance state and they were saying that one of the reasons why during the like during covid times that governments weren't like massively huge and like pushing mask mandates and like making sure that people like wearing the mask and were kind of like painting it as like an optional thing is because obviously they don't want to encourage the populace to get used to the concept of like masking their faces and hiding their faces Mm. just because that does make surveillance so much more difficult to you know yeah do so i was like oh that's really interesting and that was like something that i never considered so you're right like the way that this need for like governments or like ruling parties to like surveil us we don't really understand how it actually bleeds into everyday life and like policy and like mm. all, the, all this kind of stuff yeah so and, yeah yeah just our decisions making like yeah, personal exactly. decisions. it's not it's not just um company i mean it's not just parties or government institutions it's google Companies. it's facebook mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. It's how much money is involved in things that are quote unquote free. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Even things like Hinge. I mean, like, what data are you guys mm-hmm. taking from us? Oh, lots. Changing about us mm-hmm. every time we engage with these apps. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. It's, I'm finding it really difficult. Please, guys, recommend me nonfiction books. Mm. Short ones. This one's massive. Yeah. <laughs> Difficult, but I mean, worthwhile. And I feel like that's the best thing about, like, uh, nonfiction books, especially if you're reading the right ones. Yeah. Okay, so season three, we're doing Bodies of Work. Mm. And we're starting with James Baldwin. Maybe, should we talk about what Bodies of Work yeah, means? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're kind of looking at an author's life mm. the works they've produced and talking about where we would recommend you start based on our taste mm. um, and also just our thoughts and opinions like on their bodies of work as well and yeah. the books that they put out and everywhere else because I feel like it's not always going to be recommendations you know what I, I mean? got some <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> like I got them <laughs> yeah and just talking about the, the key themes that prop up is that English? key themes that prop up yeah that prop up their works <laughs> pop, pop, pop up in their works oh I thought you said prop up I was like yeah that works but both work both work yeah both work so let's get into it yeah let's get into it so James Baldwin mm. James Baldwin born in 1924 in Harlem New York died in 1987 in the south of France so before we were born. Oh, yeah. We yeah, born. which made me sad. I, yeah, that's quite sad. I heard of stomach cancer as well, which is really, yeah. really sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually didn't check. I mean, I could do some quick maths, but I won't. Oh, like his age? How old he was when he I died. I think he was like 68 or something. We could do the math, but no. <laughs> <laughs> I love we were like born in 1924, <laughs> died in 1907. <laughs> what would that make him? <laughs> <laughs> quick game for you guys. <laughs> Okay, sorry, he was literally 63. I just yeah. <laughs> You'd have to prove that to yeah, me, right? We knew you could do the math. Why did I feel the need to prove myself? <laughs> yeah, so he was an essayist, novelist, playwright. He, he did kind of everything. He was also an activist, actually, mm-hmm. which is how I found out about him. Mm-hmm. But we're focusing on his novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if you... 
if listening to this brings you to him for the first time, just be aware that mm-hmm. there's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, much to get into. Like, exactly. But yeah, so I, how did I come across him? I came across him in uni mm-hmm. um, on YouTube mm. because he did a lot of talk shows. Back in the day, there were a lot of talk shows about race and yeah. like real issues. Yeah, I feel like now we have Question Time and That's Good Morning Britain yeah, yeah, and Pierce Morgan and wherever he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and even then it doesn't feel serious. It feels like shouty. Yeah, and it's also not like prime time television almost you know what i mean like people mm. aren't like really gathering in their homes to like watch these talk shows yeah uh, whereas i feel like back in the day that was like way more of a thing where it's like we're gonna interview like whatever author like mm. and it's like a massive thing you know but he would be brought on because he such an amazing speaker mm-hmm. and i remember watching this interview he did on some tv show and this white man was saying you know i'm not racist i love black people i my whatever's black and whatever mm-hmm. and james borden was insisting that you know racism is real and it's happening and back in that day i don't yeah. even know why he would have to say that but i think he <laughs> went into this 50s. really the speech where he was saying things like i don't know if you're racist or you hate black people but i know that you have better schools than my children mm. i don't know if you hate da 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 but i know that we don't get to get any jobs mm-hmm. you know he just kind of laid it out like whatever you feel is one thing but what is happening is is, is, is another mm-hmm. um, and that's more important mm-hmm. so like let's not get sentimental about it yeah this is not about your feelings yeah mm-hmm. and I was so impressed with him and obviously once I'm impressed then I'm in mm-hmm. and I watched everything He, I watched everything and there's lots of debates he's done lots of He did. I think he did a debate at Oxford University okay cool and yeah that's how I found out about him he's inspired so many people that I love mm. he like Maya Angelou always says that she started writing because she found it really hard at first and she didn't want to do it. But he was so prolific that she felt like, if he can, Mm. why can't I? Mm. And also, she told James Baldwin about her life and then he was like, you have to write this. Yeah. Um, And he put her in touch with an editor, so I have him to thank for so much. King, love that. What about you? How did you come across him yeah i came across him later in life as well like i don't think i can actually pinpoint it to like a specific part like a specific Mm. book even Mm. because i actually only just read giovanni's room like last year for the first time or even picked it up so i think i came across him like whilst i was studying probably at uni but i don't think i actually ever read him until like very recently so i think my introduction to him was like more of like as an activist like as you're saying Mm. Um, and also, like, his essays and his writings on race and all that kind of stuff. And I I found out, actually, that apparently during the civil rights, or, like, during that moment, his file, like, his FBI file was the longest of, really? like, any of the black artists at that time. Like, they were keeping tabs on him. Really? And I think that's because, like, as you're saying, like, he was such a great speaker and he was so good at, like discussing issues of race i think particularly with white people in ways that like maybe one as what's the word they wouldn't find as like not like aggressive but like as um what's the word i'm looking for here like i feel like he was really good at breaking down race in a way that wasn't as a like immediately alienating to Mm. racist white people do you Mm. know what i mean so like even in that situation where you just broke down and when he was like hey okay i'm not saying this about you i'm saying that this is what i'm seeing and Mm. this is what's happening in my communities Mm. whether or not that's like a reflection on you that's for you i'm speaking about what's happening like Mm. do you get what i mean yeah yeah instead of like being drawn into as you're saying the sentimentality behind the argument and being Mm. like well you are racist or like (laughs) (laughs) so i feel like 
because of that, yeah, he was like, um, uh, he was a great orator, and why the FBI was so scared. Yeah, of him. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, very influential, but also like super loving person. Mm. Like even there's like lots of documentaries of him like in the community talking to these black children. They're like, I can never be a president, mm. and I just remember him saying like, don't don't say that. Yeah, like don't let them make you think that mm. i don't know he's 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 also like because he's from harlem he talks like in that way of like that cat down the road yeah and, hey baby how you yeah. doing baby don't don't be that way baby yeah <laughs> yeah i get you he's very a very sweet man mm-hmm. um, that like harlem jazzy kind of like yeah cadence to him definitely yeah, yeah and i remember him saying something like he wants to write the way ray charles's music makes him feel mm. which i think is such an interesting place to Start yeah. from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's he's a cool cat. Yeah, he's a cool cat. I think more like for me as like a figure, like a figurehead than like as an author. Yeah. So that's why it was so interesting for me to like read um, a bit more of his fiction. Yeah. Especially. So yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. So for this episode, we chose a selection of James Baldwin's books for no really particular reason, just other than like our own interest, right? And what yeah. we wanted to read from him. Yeah. So we chose Giovanni's Room, of course, because how are you going to talk about James Baldwin and not discuss Giovanni's Room? We also read Tell Me How Long the Train's Been Gone, which I think is kind of a deep cut. Yeah, what like does that I'd mean? Never, I'd never heard of it before. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like yeah. a deep cut, like a... It's deeper than just like the, you know, like mm. the surface level, what people know of. Uh, well, I like I'd that never phrase. read of it. I really deep like, cut. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I'd never, I'd never heard of Tell Me How Long the Train's Been Gone. So that was really interesting to read. As well as the last one that we read was Go Tell It on the Mountain. Mm, which was his first ever book, novel, first ever novel. Which was his first ever fiction novel. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. And so just in terms of themes that James Baldwin usually gets into, most of his work includes themes of race and self-esteem, queer relationships, interracial relationships, and religion. So runs the gamut. Like, yeah. It's a good selection there. Because also, fun fact, he was a pastor. What? From 14. What? Hold on, from 14 to 17. Really? Yeah, which is why he's such an amazing speaker. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Oh my God. Um, religion is a big thing for him because obviously he abandoned it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like that struggle is always... Interesting. And he has a big thing about how he feels that the Christian religion allows black people to persist mm. under circumstances which they should mm. not not be persisting under mm. yeah. yeah that's really really interesting yeah okay love that okay so um what was your favorite book that we read what was your favorite james baldwin book we read i mean yeah. i know what it was because i feel like we have the same one <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, my favorite book by him that we read, that I've ever read by him, is Giovanni's Room. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it, like, just stopped me in my tracks. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. And you've read a lot more, like, James Baldwin than I have. So I think the fact that Giovanni's Room is also your favorite tells me that... It's your favorite, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tells me that it's going to be my favorite out of, like, all of them, probably. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's like a Marmite one. I get mixed reviews. Yeah. Really? Like, when it came out, so okay. context. Yeah context yeah context. i feel like you're so much better at describing books do you think yeah i'm gonna Ooh. let you okay so giovanni's room is essentially about a young american man called david who moves to paris right to kind of like find himself pursue a life and then whilst he's there he meets a young italian immigrant also in paris 
um, working at a gay bar called Giovanni, and then they kind of set off on this um, secret affair that ends up in some really tragic circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, that's the story. Yeah, that is the story. And also, James Baldwin ran off to France when he was 24 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, to escape America yeah, and become yeah. a writer. Mm-hmm. So that's Giovanni's room. So obviously, it kind of explores themes around love and desire and homosexuality and then also I think like isolation what was really interesting about Giovanni's room especially now for me and even like when it came out is of course the fact that um there's no black characters the book is primarily all the characters in the book are all white and I think that when it came out people were kind of like put off by that weren't they yeah they felt like, why are you... All the white books in the world and you're one of the greatest black writers out there. Yeah, why? why are you... Mm-hmm. And I think, from his perspective, it's like, people write about black people all the time mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they think they have authority and so why can't I write about whoever I want to? Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I just think he does it so... And he's everything so well, so mm-hmm. I don't really... I didn't get why it was an issue, but maybe I'm... It's a different time, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I mean, I think I get you as well. I saw uh, something about where his publisher at the time was that it's such a departure from what you have been writing Mm. and what you were known for writing um, that is going to alienate like your black audience and I think that's what they perceived to be his whole entire audience essentially they were like you're gonna like alienate your primary audience like if you put out this story that is not only about homosexual relationships but it's also about white people mm. do you see yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah, yeah they were like they didn't want him to put it out like essentially it's so funny because when I'm reading we're gonna get into the book guys but when I'm reading I don't feel alienated from I don't know. I don't have the same expectation to feel included in things when I'm reading a book. Mm, so I, mm-hmm. this kind of struggle feels a bit dramatic to me. But <laughs> maybe, again, they were going through something much... Yeah, the racism in that at that time... Was something. Yeah, so let me just step out of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reason why it's my favourite book, so many reasons. Like, the first one, I think, just the first chapter just has so many gems mm. in terms of wisdom mm. like these, these conversations about time mm. these conversations about willpower um i'm gonna read one of the quotes people who believe that they are strong-willed and the masters of their destiny can only continue to believe this by becoming specialists in self-deception mm. and i think he's just really good at making you think yeah and making you look at yourself properly mm. and i just so many times, like, my copy of this book is covered in notes. I write in my books. <laughs> Not in on the pages where the lines, the words are, but at the, the front margins. or the back. Oh, no, the okay. Front, yeah, mm. not the margins, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I underline, I underline, yeah, but I write I in the front and the back. And this is one of the things I, I wrote down. Mm. And I think, of course, like, we all have willpower and mm. we make decisions. Mm-hmm. But I remember when we spoke about um, nervous conditions and we talked about how these two young people brought up in very different ways mm. and unfortunately that meant certain certain things were predestined for them mm. and that's the first time where I had to stop and say oh do I have agency mm-hmm. like am I completely free mm-hmm. like how much is, of my life is because I made it so yeah um, and I just had never I never questioned whether my life was the consequence of my decisions or mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. and him telling me that I'm a specialist in self-deception I was like oh damn mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> And I mean, yeah. that's what David was as well, though, right? Like the main character in the mm. book, in Giovanni's room, he was a master at self-deception, essentially because he spends the whole entire novel fighting against his own 
desires and like yeah. what he feels like he does desire because he feels like that is wrong in society he's mm-hmm. a homosexual well actually um we don't know that he's homosexual yeah it's giving bi it is giving it's, bi actually, it was let give- men be bi yeah it was giving because he, he i forgot the lady's name sarah hella hella yeah, well, there was hella and then there was sarah okay. so hella was the one he's betrothed or something yeah he is already in a relationship with a woman who he has proposed to like when we meet him at the very start of the book but then also at some point during the book he does have a relationship or like a one night stand or like with some woman called sarah yeah okay Mm -hmm. but that's my question for you actually what i wanted Mm -hmm. to talk about is giovanni always comes out as like the victim but at any point are we thinking why did you stay no, I felt so bad for Giovanni. Mm. <laughs> I felt so bad for Giovanni the whole time. Which was is actually, I think, a feat, like, on James Baldwin's part, considering how misogynistic Gio- like Giovanni was at certain points during mm. the book. And I think purposefully so. And so for him to kind of have that aspect to him, but then also, like, I feel like James Baldwin still painted him in such, like, a tender way that I still felt, like, terrible the entire time and then i feel like also because he had no options you know he'd moved there from italy on from his small you know town there and now he's alone in paris it's hard to find other gay people that are willing to exactly be gay with you exactly because he wants to live an open life like he literally fled his life to come here to live openly and Mm. hopefully happily and i feel like it was just so heartbreaking that he fled and he still was not able to find that space or like find that like happiness for himself yeah just, yeah it was just devastating no i was i loved giovanni for me he Same. was painted as someone who was very vulnerable yeah understood what the purpose of life was yeah and mm-hmm. like that it, you should not take yourself too seriously and yeah. that i have to love myself and he just made he just seemed so fabulous mm-hmm. and i think it was so heartbreaking for me to be kind of like you can say you know what forget society I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to go out there and try and get what I feel like is for me. And society will still be like, no. Mm. Do you know what I mean? No. You don't get to You don't get to do that. Like You don't get to have that freedom, that love, that joy, that happiness or whatever. We, you don't get to do that. And that's why I really want to be able to... Because I want to be able to look at Giovanni and say, run. Yeah, <laughs> run. Like, you can still have run, that. Um, it's like, where? Where would he go? Where would he have gone? I just feel like the fact that he exists means that someone else did. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me oh, wrong. Course, yeah. I'm not put, like, <laughs> I would probably be Giovanni. <laughs> like, yeah. That's my time. <laughs> but I, yeah, like, I'm, well, where I am now, I'm trying to be hopeful and trying to think, like, if I ever encounter something that feels like it's, you know, you're hitting a brick wall, which I feel like he was with David. Yeah. Just to say, mm, no. Not for me. Not for me. Yeah. Um, I'm hurting myself here. Yeah. And at some point it was getting a bit like, Baby. Yeah. <laughs> Leave the room. <laughs> Pens down. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> but I was in love with him and he just had... I was in love with no, I was, him. I was in love with him. <laughs> and didn't they make Paris seem so fun? Yes. I loved him. I was like, I want to have like, you know, a tragic lover in Paris somewhere and all we do is smoke cigarettes and drink red wine. Why do American films do this? Make (laughs) make drinking alcohol and cigarettes like it feels really good. Like they wake up in the morning and they just feel good and they make breakfast. (laughs) No, you feel bad. Don't lie to me. Literally. Why was it your favourite one? I think it kind of like feeds into why it's part of your favourite, why it was your favourite as well. I think for me, 
and this might be like a thing that is true of like most of his works probably but it's just the way that he explores and explored like the intimacy of male relationships um and not even just like between like david and giovanni but also like father and son mm. like between brothers just like all that kind of male dynamics i just i just feel like he gives them this i don't know what the word is but like the tenderness le- yeah tenderness and the level of like interiority interiority that is the word yeah <laughs> If you, if you needed to be reminded. Yeah. And like, maybe it's because I don't, I'm, I wouldn't say that I often read like male authors. So maybe that's why it was so like, it stood out so much to like, me. What's that? I was like, <laughs> I'm not usually reading. Men like, lead. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not usually reading books written by men that like explore like these dynamics as much or like to like explore like the politics behind them. Like, for example, like in Giovanni's room, his relationship with his dad was like so interesting and fascinating to me Mm -hmm. because you could tell that it was both like the site of like a lot of hurt but then also a lot of love at the same time there's this like one part at the very beginning where he's talking about his relationship with his father and he says it's a quote so i'm just going to read that now he says i was undergoing with my father what the very young inevitably undergo with their elders i was beginning to judge him and the very harshness of the judgment which broke my heart revealed though i could not have said it then how much I'd loved him and how that love, along with my innocence, was dying. Mm. Man, that man can write. Exactly. I was like, that is so, yeah. And I mean, when you pair that with the background of like him growing up, feeling that the way that he is or like certain aspects of himself would alienate him from his father, because I think he very much tied his masculinity and his sexuality. So, like, even in the novel, there's, like, loads of times where there will be other characters who are gay and maybe, like, are a bit more um, comfortable being, like, maybe a bit more feminine. Mm. And he was always so disapproving of them, Mm. um, disapproving of their lack of, quote-unquote, masculinity. Mm. Like, almost as a thing where it's like, oh, like, I might be gay, but, like, I'm not that kind of gay. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm more of a man because I'm not that kind of gay. Yeah. So, yeah, I just thought it was, like, really interesting, like, just, like, how he was exploring masculinity and, like, the way that men construct masculinity for themselves because it's like he's trying to be masculine like his father and it's like your father's an alcoholic sweetie and that's that what are we trying to model ourselves after here you know what are we aspiring to here why is that like the image of masculinity that you feel like you need to live up to Mm. so yeah that was just like i was like hmm love that yeah yeah i love that and it's like I mean, we can kind of jump off from here into the other books, mm. but another thing that I think he does what well in this and the others mm. is... So I've grown up working class and I've lived an extremely happy life. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I wouldn't have known that I was working class if I didn't see how other people... Are like, mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is how y'all living? This is how y'all living? <laughs> but he does this thing where he depicts, like... I don't know if you can, if you can call it poverty because it doesn't necessarily feel, like, impoverished. Yeah. With, like the wealth that I experienced it, where like in, when him and Giovanni are in that room, mm. Giovanni's room, mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't feel, even though he describes it and he makes it clear that it's small and all these things, it feels such like such a loving, mm-hmm. fun, yeah. safe space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then it becomes like the biggest room in the world mm-hmm. when they're both in it yeah. doing their thing. Yeah. And I just think he always does that really well. Mm-hmm. People don't have money, mm-hmm. but that's not what you need to have a good life yeah um yeah 
I think that's so true of Tell Me How Long the Train's Been Gone as well, because that was like my other favorite. The way that he depicted that family, um, especially like when we're looking at Leah's perspective from his younger days, was mm. just beautiful. Oh, it was so beautiful. The love and the tenderness between even like the two of them, even though maybe at one I, point it was too much love and tenderness. I was crying. Like, <laughs> if you can cry, you can cry with tears of joy. But like, mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily, cr- not describing crying, but like the feeling you feel before you cry tears of joy is mm-hmm. what I felt mm-hmm. reading about these brothers. Mm. Oh, yeah. The mother and the mm-hmm. son, the dad, mm-hmm. like n- imperfect, mm-hmm. but like the love. Yeah. It was definitely like the relationship between the two brothers for me. Mm. So, just to provide a little bit more context, tell me how long the train has been gone is a novel that James Baldwin published in, I think it was 1968. Mm. Yeah, in 1968. So, I think it was his fourth one. So, mm. we're getting to kind of like the tail end at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, published in 1968, and it's about a black theatre, like, star, I guess, yeah. right? Yeah, he's he was a star. budding actor. Oh, no, he becomes an <laughs> yeah, actor, quite, but it yeah. starts off, it, the story tracks his life from childhood. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think we meet him, like, he's come off the stage, and he's had, like, some kind of heart attack, and then from there, he goes back um, and gives us insight into his life, and how he's gotten here, and it's just, I think, a great book that explores... Love and desire, once again. But then also, I think I love how it explores, like, art and, like, self-expression as well, just Mm. through the aspect of, like, him wanting to be part of the theatre world. Mm. Also, for me, like, what it takes to live a life, what it feels like to live a life, Mm. like, sacrifice, Mm -hmm. the the patience of like waiting on your dreams yeah when everyone is like your parents are like god when are you gonna yeah (laughs) (laughs) when are you gonna hang it up you know um yeah and also like why i recommend that if you like an author you should read like their body of work is because if you really like the themes that they cover you just get to see them do that in so many different ways and as they evolve as writers like do it even better and i feel Mm -hmm. like uh, tell me how how does it go again tell me how long the train's been (laughs) when you get there i feel like he's it's so good. Nothing even happens, really. Nothing happens in the book. <laughs> like, you don't come there for, like, a lit moment. <laughs> but I just think it the interior world he deals with really well. And talking about deep cuts, I actually heard about it because it comes up. And you know that famous interview he does with Nikki Giovanni? Mm-hmm. Um, so- Can we just say, like, a meeting of minds. <laughs> okay, a meeting of minds. I watched the whole thing. Yeah. It was giving Club Shay Shay. Because it's long. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so good. Yeah, I've never watched the whole thing. Really? Maybe one day, yeah. No, yeah, it's really good. But she she said to him, oh, I love that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, write down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did he say when she said that? Do you Thank you so much. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> or like, in a much cooler Harlem way. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Still kind or <laughs> And they're both like smoking cigarettes. Like, <laughs> in this interview. It's, it's yeah. just actually stunning to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I can, baby. But anyway, yeah, you should watch it just because, yeah, it talks about some of the things I know that you want to talk about, like his, how he thinks about men and black women and black men in Mm -hmm. relationships, Mm -hmm. where she's saying, you men need to pretend for us Mm -hmm. because you guys treat us bad and you go to work and treat the white man really good. Mm -hmm. And he's like, but, you're the person where I can come home and be safe with. And she's like, no. Mm-hmm. No, don't do that. <laughs> Act right. <laughs> no, I'm going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Like, that is not one of my... Not a gripe. It's not like a gripe, but it is something that I personally noticed when I was reading. But then to be fair, I can't speak definitively because so far I've only read these two books. Mm-hmm. But personally for me, I was reading it and I am unconvinced by his treatment of his female characters. Mm convinced by it. I mean, I won't even go into his treatment of black female characters because I don't feel like my source material is wide enough to make the claims that I want to make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Actually, no, I'll get into it. In terms of, like, his treatment of black female characters, right? And tell me how long the train's been gone. Like, the mom in that book is the only time that I feel like he depicted a black woman in a way that didn't make me raise an eyebrow. Which depictions made you raise an eyebrow? First of all, it's like, how many of them have I read? Not that many. Yeah, fine. So, yeah. like, I'm yeah. not going to speak definitively. Or just even one, it's fine. Like, even just an example. Like, I remember I was, during it when I was reading it, there was this one time where he were introduced to this character called Sylvia. Mm. And I literally wrote down the description because I was like, hmm. <laughs> Suspicious. <laughs> yeah, he literally, like, the characters introduces Sylvia, a fine, tough, mannish Negro character actress. Now, Mr. Baldwin. Oh, this is not tell me how long the chain's been going. Yeah. Mm, (laughs) Mr. mm. Walden, when you have spent the whole entire of this novel saying Barbara and her angel, angelic blonde locks, flute, like, do you know what I mean? Like, every description that he's, like, he gave us of Barbara, other white women in the novel, Mm. maybe he he would, like, not praise, like, things such as, like, intelligence or highlight, like, that kind of stuff. Mm. So he was always painting this picture of, like, this innocence and this, oh, just a dainty little, like, you know, just dainty little flower. And Sylvia is tough mannish. Mm. So, yeah. you know, I'm not going to say too much on that because, like, as I said, I haven't read everything. But it did make me raise a little eyebrow. And then I found this essay online called Black Women in the Fiction of James Baldwin by someone called Trudia Harris mm-hmm. that I'm going to read mm-hmm. and then report back. I read oh, okay. like the, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, tell me. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, to be fair, like I tried to search it and it was on JSTOR, but you know how JSTOR is. And I just want to say, like, Z Library, I want to run to you. Yeah. I miss the library so much. I don't know what that is. So I don't know. It's like the one that you could like go online, and, like you could find all of these academic essays. Oh just, like, wow! For free, like okay. quick download, and but it's they over. got rid of it. Yeah, and now all we have is JSTOR, where you can't get any like essays for free. Like I'm sorry, I know this is like a complete detour from what we're talking about. Yeah, but like make academic resources like more widely available and like more available online. Like I really shouldn't have to pay twenty pounds. I don't know the read. economics behind it because I'm wondering, are they getting maybe the writers want to get paid? I don't know. Mm. I don't, I don't know, know, but it's like so many writers or like so many scholars will like, for example, if you like email someone being like, oh my God, I re- yeah. yeah, like I really want to read your essay on blah, blah, blah. I really would like to reference it. They'll just send it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's knowledge. But What's anyway. <laughs> anyway, I'm <been> very triggered. <laughs> she really is, guys. Wa- <laughs> I really wanted to read that. I was like, I'm going to read this. And I, Why don't I, we just I email her? With, um, is, she, is she a professor? Academic? I might. I don't yeah. know. But I think it was like quite an old... Um, mm. essay so I'm not sure if I'd find it but I, I will I will try and find it because I was like I want to come prepared because like you know when you have this feeling yeah. like there's just something about it was just like niggling it like just niggling at me yeah. and I was like I want to read someone smarter talking about this yeah. so that I can you know organise it better in my mind yeah no I don't I don't disagree with you like I've read yeah I've read a few of them and his female characters are not my favorite female characters, and I think that is a good indication mm. of what. Do you know what I mean? I feel like of what I'm his ge- like priorities. Yeah, mm. I because I have never I can't pick one and say yeah she. I remember her. No, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I don't feel that. But his male characters are yeah. stunning. But I feel like women do male characters really well all the time. Yeah, no, I don't think his his female characters are bad. I just don't think they're my favorite. I do. 
<laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> they're bad. Okay, it's over that I think they're bad, but I feel like they're so like male orientated. Like not even in the sense where like oh, pick me. No, yeah. just more in the sense where it's like it feels as though they themselves feel like their lives and they are like incomplete without the men or like maleness in their lives. For example, like Hella, why are you chasing this man? Mm. Why are you chasing this man? Sarah, why are you chasing this man? That's the thing, like, all these women are real. There are women that are like that, and it's more just that they're not my favourite characters. Of course, but it's like if every, if most of your characters can be painted by that same brush, then it's like... No, but I, then that, that isn't true. Like, he definitely has other characters that are good. Like, I mean, if Bill Street could talk... Yeah, if Bill, yeah, if Bill could, the mother in If Bill, could, Bill Street could talk, amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in another country, the character who dies at the beginning of the novel... Oh, should I be reading it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe but I had to maybe, maybe, <laughs> No, but in a, another country, there's a sister in that, that she's an amazing character... But they're just not my favourites. Mm. Um, it's like, I'm not saying that they're bad characters. No, but I think, when I say bad, I mean like, like you're saying, one type, or like not full, mm-hmm. or like always oriented towards men. Mm-hmm. Um, those women are not like that to me. Mm-hmm. But again, I, yeah, I don't think he's his... Uh, yeah, I don't think he's... This is a strong point. Not at all. I mean, no, that's absolutely fair enough. I think I just appreciate and more... Yeah, I just appreciate when characters are able to like balance so for example like with his like female characters that i've read so far my issue with them was that they weren't able to balance their like you know love of these men with love of themselves or like self-respect or self actually self anything yeah it was all just and i'm saying that i think that that is a real full person who's like that and yeah yeah, as in yeah that that, i hear you but i'm just like james but I, I, mean, I want to see something. More. I want to yeah. see something else. I want to see something else. So yeah. I'm gonna read if Beale Street could talk, like as you said, because I do have it on my Kindle. Really? I'm actually mad about it. Really? One, one, it's like a sad. I don't want to read any more sad books about like I'm not gonna ruin it for you, but mm-hmm. I, I don't want to read that stuff anymore. Also, he describes the characters as people who are like, let's say, across like the standard beauty line, not attractive, mm. and they make the film and they just bring up these models to play them. I'm just like, he literally said one of them's missing a front tooth. Like, mm. please. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do this. <laughs> okay, so I guess to kind of wrap up, I've spoken about, you know, what surprised me slash disappointed me. Yeah. Was there anything in his works that surprised you or, you know, didn't address you? Or what did you not like about any of the books? I think I agree with you about the the point about the female characters, like, they're not my favourites. It's funny because I know he knew so many of those kinds of women. Like, he knew Toni Morrison. Like, That's where the he disappointment knew my lies Angelou. for me. He knew his mother. Like He, he knew Nikki Giovanni. He knew Nikki Giovanni. Mm-hmm. He knew all these women. But he's focusing on these types of women. But also, I don't know that there's anything wrong with those women also having... Being in novels. And maybe I don't come to him for that. Mm-hmm. So I can, like... I'm like... Hey, 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 mm-hmm. hey. But another thing I don't come to him for is, like, plot. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, I don't see it there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, like with uh, Tell Me How Long the Train's Been Gone, I didn't 
it didn't go where I thought it was going. Actually, now that you mentioned it, I've realised that most of these books, or like or these two at least, tell me how long the train's been gone in Giovanni's room, literally kind of start after the action's already taken place. Mm. That's why like plot is not even that much of a massive thing, because it's like everything's already happened. No. And then also like being introspective about what's been going on, but it's never kind of like, and then this happened, and then this mm. happened. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Never. And I mean, I think he's writing, I think the way he even uses punctuation to me is very innovative. Mm. Mm-hmm. I feel like he really is a tool that I never knew. I didn't notice that. Really, in Giovanni's room, the colon use. Mm. I feel like the colon is a hard one to throw around and yeah. he just is like, whack, whack. Mm. But yeah, in terms of plot, I I really don't see what's what he's giving us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I want a plot, but I don't know what, because you know me, I'm I'm happy to kind of sit back. Mm-hmm. But tell me how long the train's been going. It's so long that I was it's like, so long. well, what are you going to do with us? <laughs> it's so long. That's it's so like, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you how long the trains be gone. Yeah. <laughs> Hours. <laughs> um, and sometimes, yeah, that like in Giovanni's room, it's like a ten-minute book. I get it. Yeah. But yeah. in that other book, I was like, and even Go Tell on the Mountain, I was yeah. like, it's kind of long, and yeah. I don't know what's. Um, but I'm a sucker for like just hearing about people's lives and why people make decisions. And mostly, I'm okay, but mm. definitely, it's a struggle. Yeah. Like in the middle of the book, I have to fight mm. to finish it because he really isn't giving you. You got, you're here for the words or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be. But did anything else disappoint you about his writing? No, no, I don't think so. Loved the writing. Mm. Loved his characterizations, I was saying. Loved how he got into, like, the relationships between all the characters. Loved the tragedy of it all. But yeah, the only thing was literally just the female characters thing. But that's really a me thing. Any honourable mentions that we didn't talk about? I know you mentioned if Beale Street could talk, so I I'm going to read that it's one. It's not an honourable mention Is it me. not? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. um, another country. Okay, yeah. is that um, also fiction? Or was that one fiction. of his non-fiction? It's fiction. Another country. Yeah. Okay, cool. Also, his he didn't write it, but his biography by someone who I will let you guys know <laughs> in the newsletter or something. Yeah. But yeah, that I think is an amazing piece of work. Okay, so now it's time for a quick book regs because we've been catching up with you guys mm-hmm. on our lives. Yeah, we'll run through this quick. <laughs> okay, so today the book request we have is High Stacked. Hey. <laughs> I want an escape story for a flight. I'm going on a work trip and I want to be out of that headspace while I'm on the plane. Mm-hmm. Shout out work trips. Honestly, okay. I love them. <laughs> Blew me out. Yeah. <laughs> An escape a story for a flight. I love reading on a flight. I know, I know we just said we're going to do this quickly. I just like, <laughs> I was like I love. Huh, let me think. <laughs> no, but I do. I feel like it's one of the easiest places to just sit down with a good book and just read it start to finish. I agree. Yeah, because like what else are you going to do, you know? Um, <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally nothing. I think my escape a story escapist novel the last novel that I read that I really really lost myself in um, and didn't come out for a while was Pachinko by Min Jin Lee I don't know if I've mentioned this already on this podcast but it's possible that I might have because um, I read it about two years ago I think and I was <laughs> obsessed that's the last novel that you got lost in? yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, it really grabbed me. Two years ago? Yeah, it really grabbed me. But like, when I say, something. like, escapist, like, I mean, like, I was, like, yeah. in that world. Like, when things would happen to characters, I was distraught. You're like, I, oh, no! Like, I cried. 
Yes. Like I like all of that. It okay. it, it took me. Okay, it I, took I me. saw it. I've saw it. <laughs> I've seen English. <laughs> English. I've seen it around. So yeah. I'm glad that it. It's it that good. good, yeah. But like, so essentially, it's just like historical fiction, which I always love because it's like I'm not learning about history any other way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it follows four generations of like a Korean immigrant family in Japan, and it's just about like love and loss and identity. And just loss. Wow, okay, man. It's Sold. it's really really good. They did turn it into a TV show. Now that we mention it, I'm pretty sure I've already talked about this on the podcast. But yeah, okay. I mean that just means I love it so yeah. much. Boom. So yeah. Uh, mine is uh, The Secret Lives of Baba Segi's Wives by Lola Shonayin. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it came out into the theatres mm. as not cinema that on like, oh, the, yeah. they made it into like a play. play yeah. Everyone said it was terrible. Oh. I never saw it. I'm not, I'm not speaking on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I can say is that I love the book. Yeah. I read it probably in December mm-hmm. and I was there. I was in it. I loved it. The plot is in the name, The Secret Lives of Baba Segi's Wives. Yeah. And if I say any more... I ruin it. Yeah. And it is one of those books that you just want to know what, what how, happens. Yeah, how it ends. I think this was like one of the first books my boyfriend ever got me. Really? Yeah, he loves it. I think it's this one. I might be getting it confused. Did with, you not um, read it? No, I did. Oh. <laughs> but it's like there's another book that I get it confused by. Oh, I think I'm thinking of I Do Not Come To You By Chance. How? Why are they confusing? Because <laughs> they have similar covers to me. Oh, okay. Or I think maybe I read them around the same time. No, one day we're going to talk about how like, books by African authors are always... Same covers. Same covers. Yeah, but Just, I think also they're both like Nigerian. Um, Yeah, but yeah, I really love The Secret Lives of Balbasegui's Wives as well. It's fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. 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 And yeah, you're right. It is like fun to escape into. There's a little plot twist. Yeah, it's a good time. Really good. So we hope that you enjoyed those recommendations and we hope you have a fun time on your work trip. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Sorry, not girl. Enjoy, person. (laughs) (laughs) I should assume. Girl is actually unisex. Oh, you're right. You're right. (laughs) Okay, so now takeaways from James Baldwin's life and works. And works. You can choose from Mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, what what is your takeaway? Oh, I can start. Mm -hmm. Um, My takeaway is definitely. For me, James Baldwin's books is a kind of manifestation of... What's that? Is it a quote? Um, Wherever you go, there you are. Mm. And I feel like all his books are constantly forcing you to engage with yourself and look Mm. at yourself and be honest with yourself or Mm. face up to the consequences of avoiding that, Mm. Mm -hmm. reckoning. And yeah, he's done that for me. And he always does that for me. And I always look for him to lead that in my life. And I feel like he is one of the people that taught me about race and made me aware of race. Mm-hmm. Him and Malcolm X mm. um, just fell into my lap. I don't know, the algorithm or... <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm X via my dad, yeah. James Baldwin via the algorithm. Yeah. Shouts out to YouTube. <laughs> but also, life under surveillance capitalism is saying, question mark to YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's my takeaway. I love that. I love that quote. I think my biggest takeaway was just kind of I'm not even sure if this is really a takeaway but I think he definitely made me reconsider and maybe consider more or think more about like the politics of desire Mm. and because I feel like it's such a running theme like in these books and I just and I think maybe sometimes as someone who is often in heterosexual relationships and living in a heteronormative society you don't really think about how desire and who you do desire and who you love can be such a political thing. Mm. Um, and I think he obviously lays that bare um, for anyone who's looking to to read and see 
So I really loved that. And then also, just like as a quick tester, he does also have this poem called Guilt, Desire and Love, which I feel like completely perfectly like encompasses everything that he loves to discuss and like all the themes that he loves to highlight. So we'll put that up on our Instagram if anyone wants to have a look. But yeah, guilt, desire and love and how these can sometimes be political. And that was my biggest takeaway. I love it. Mm. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for the first episode of season three. Woo! Yay! I've got some amazing, amazing authors lined up. Yeah. Like, cannot wait to talk about them. Um, next week, we are discussing Sally Rooney. Ooh, which I'm really excited for. Yeah. Like, obviously, we spoke about her previously in passing. So I think I'm really excited to, like, really dive into her because I've learned so much. Yeah. I might be a stan now, but She's a bad bee. I might be a stan. She is, um... <laughs> But yeah, in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram or TikTok at The Stack Pod. We're also launching a newsletter that's going to go hand in hand with the episodes. So you can follow us on Substack for more. The link will be or is in mm -hmm. <laughs> our Instagram bio. Also, don't forget to like and follow us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon Music. Wherever you listen, just give us a like and a follow. It's really helpful, guys. Yeah, let us know what you think. Leave reviews. Yeah, leave reviews. Tell us. Tell us about the, the book request. Yeah, exactly. Send in some more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, once again, guys, this has been Stacked, and remember, pick, pick up, up a book! book.